Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the MDDDS podcast. I'm Dr. Kyle Fagala, your host, and I'm excited that we are starting a new series tonight. We have just wrapped a six-week series on the gospel, and that was called The Gospel You Missed in Youth Group, and now you haven't missed it. Now you got that down. And now we're moving in to a discussion on doctrine and also a discussion on how our culture influences the way that we think about the church and Christianity in general. This will be called false doctrines. And so tonight I'm doing an introduction and kind of covering how do we test for good doctrine versus false doctrine, and also looking at a few things that our culture deals with right now. The four weeks that follow will be a discussion on false gospels, a discussion on Christian blogging and also uh, Christian books, a discussion on the question of will sinners go to hell, and then also a discussion on Christ versus culture. And so these are all issues uh, that our culture is dealing with, questions that, uh, that we, we were kind of faced because our culture thinks differently than the Bible does and, and then the church has traditionally. And the scary thing is that the church starts to take on more characteristics of our culture as opposed to Christ. At least that's what we're saying. That's what we're putting forth. I'm really excited about this series. We did this recently in our Sunday school class at Highland, and I think it was a big hit. I really enjoyed uh, teaching and learning about it. So I will get started now with our introduction. I know the Schwins are out there listening, so, so Billy and Chelsea, I want to send a shout out to you guys. Um, and if this is something you really enjoy, share this with someone else. But let's get started now with an introduction into false doctrines. All right, yeah, we're moving on to the second tab. We have a new cover sheet, I hope you notice and appreciate. So this is false doctrines. Um, so we're going to spend five weeks looking at all this. Uh, we're going to do the introduction and then four different topics. We originally taught this, I think we had like nine different topics, and so we've kind of, you know, zoned in on the, on the best ones. And what we're exploring is various issues that contribute to bad doctrine and unbiblical religious practices in the modern church. Um, so it's not just that the modern church has, has issues. You know, you leave, we're looking at Galatians in class the last several weeks, and you know, even what was that written in, like 50, 80? Between 35 and 50. Yeah, so maybe even earlier. Let's say it was 45, 80, whatever. 20 years removed from Jesus or less, and they were already you know, dealing with false doctrines and different gospels and things like that. So 2,000 years later, obviously, we're de- dealing with a lot of these different things too. Um, and it seems like in our culture that people are almost like more enamored with like half-truths and like alternative facts and like it's just crazy it's like as we get like more technology more access to truth and to facts we're like less interested in those things and so um, I think some of that has kind of hurt the church and so we're going to look at some of those things Um, and tonight we're just going to do an introduction we're going to talk about well how do you decide what is good doctrine um, a lot of us just kind of rely on the churches that we've grown up in to kind of tell us, um, but I think some of that's on us too. Um, and so here are your blanks, your first blanks. Um, so I want us to explore how our culture has influenced the way we think about Christianity, Christian theology, and Christian church doctrines. It's a mouthful. So Christianity, Christian theology, and Christian church doctrines. Okay. All right. So I want to say, like, just as a disclaimer, um, I think just the idea of like false doctrine or like those words, it starts to feel like maybe like the church from like the 50s and from the Church of Christ um, kind of background. Like, I think the Church of Christ was sort of labeled as like a really uh, legalistic church, a church that was always trying to look for what was black and white or like 
kind of from an authoritarian standpoint, like this is the way you should do these things, and if you do that, you'll be saved, and this is wrong, and this is right, and you've got to do this thing, and you would debate other churches, and you would tell someone they're going to hell because they didn't get this doctrine correct. So I want to be very clear that that's not what this is about. Um, this is not about parsing out like tiny little things like should the top of your collection plate have a cross or not, or like little minor things that we call those, you know, kind of tertiary doctrine. Even secondary doctrine are things that, I think there's a time and place to argue those things. That's not what we're talking about. We're really talking more about primary doctrine, essential doctrine, what we call close-handed theological issues. These are issues that really, I sincerely believe that it could be the difference in entering heaven or not. All right, so these are big things that we can all agree on. And we'll talk down here in a little bit about the Apostles' Creed and kind of the things that, no matter if you're Baptist, you're Methodist, uh, even Catholic, I mean, the things that we all agree on as a Christian, you know, church or Christians. Um, and I think also that in reaction to, you know, having a, a church, especially if you're Church of Christ, but also other churches, I mean, Baptist Church is guilty of this too, being like really hardline, fundamentalist, like on certain issues, kind of we all are, um, is that we've let the pendulum swing the other way. So like, well, we don't want to be like so legalistic and so hardcore, so we're going to swing all the other way to where we're just about mercy and love and grace and we're not going to tell you how you should live and how you should do church. Like, that's all good. And so we kind of like agree to disagree and like stand back and be like, it's good, man. Like, whatever, whatever you want to do, that's good. And I don't think that's good either. And so I think that tolerance is a, is a real popular thing kind of in our culture today. And that comes back to this idea that truth is subjective. And so we, we would say that we'll be tolerant of you because it's true in your eyes. So who am I to judge? Um, and it's also just out of a, a desire for that pendulum to swing the other way where you don't want to tell someone they're wrong, right? What's right for you is, is right for you, and what's right for me is what's right for me, and that's just not any way to live. Like, we should have, you know, objectivity to the truths that we see in the Bible. All right, it's not a criticism of the church or any particular denomination. Okay, hopefully I have that out of the way. All right, so there we go. Doctrine. So what is doctrine? That'll be your other blank there is, is doctrine. A doctrine is a codification of beliefs or a body of teachings or instructions taught principles or positions as the essence of teachings in a given branch of knowledge or belief system. Uh, what it literally means is truth revealed by God or simply teaching. Okay, and we get the word in part from a verse like Titus 1.9 where it says, and it kind of captures both of these usages, both of it's truth revealed by God and it's also teaching. The idea is that God reveals this truth to you, and then you teach it. Um, but it says, uh, and he's describing qualifications and tasks of an elder. He says, he, being the elder, must hold firm to the truthworthy word as taught or as doctrined, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So the two things that I hear is, is that an elder needs to hold firm to a trustworthy word, um, he also needs to teach that, but he also needs to re rebuke those who contradict it. And so as a leader in the church, as you know, future parents, and also just people sitting next to someone in a pew, like we need to know what the Bible teaches. We need to be able to teach that to other people. And we also need to be able to rebuke people when they don't follow with that. What's the hardest part of all that? It's definitely rebuking those that contradict it. And I think that over time, the beliefs of a church they erode because partly, I guess, all these things. Maybe we don't know what's true doctrine. We don't teach it. We're afraid to teach it because maybe it comes across too, like, you know, austere or stern. And then we definitely don't want to rebuke someone over it. Um, 
And you can rebuke too much. I mean, we have in the 50s, like, churches that all they do is rebuke. You know, it's all they do is pick at little details. So, um, all right, so here's a discussion question. What are some doctrines of the Christian church? There's probably no wrong answer here. So just, just throw some out. Not all at once. So the Trinity? All right, the Trinity. Is that what you were going to say? That's kind of like one of those things people say. They're like, well, that's what I was going to say. No, I really Okay, all right. But well, they're kind of all listed right under here. But well, don't look. It's cheating. Salvation. Yeah, salvation. All, all people are born sinners. Yeah. God is the creator. Yeah, Jesus was resurrected. Kind of all the gospel stuff we just talked about. Um, pretty much, yeah, everything is you know pretty primary doctrine. Now you can get, kind of get down to second and tertiary, and you can start talking about well, uh, you know, are we you know amillennial or postmillennial or premillennial? You know, are we uh, Calvinists? Are we Molinists? Um, what are some other like minor things? Instruments, women's roles. Uh, so those all fit in a different kind of realms of doctrine. Those are all church doctrines. Those are all things that people have fought over, that churches have split over, okay? The big ones obviously being, you know, the sort of things like, how are we saved? Are we saved by deeds? Are we saved by faith alone? That split churches and, and thousands of people were killed over that, right? At one point in history, about 500 years ago. Um, and so, yeah, so those, are all, those are all important things. I think when we talk about, like, what is primary doctrine, what is most important, I think the Apostles' Creed is something that's helpful to sort of crystallize all that. And so we'll look at that together. There was that verse, and there was that. So here's the Apostles' Creed. You won't be able to, believe, to read it off of there, but if you're not familiar with this, because uh, in the Church of Christ, we don't do creeds. We don't stand up and, and read off creeds like they might in an ecumenical, or not an ecumenical church, but a liturgical church. Uh, we did go and visit one where we were at the beach, and, and they read off some of this stuff. And it's pretty cool to sort of know that people have said these things for 1,500 years, and this was a creed that however many, you know, hundreds of years ago, 1,500 years ago, whatever, they decided, like, this is what we believe, and it's been passed down. It's been edited here and there, but it's pretty cool. Uh, and so uh, it's widely used by a number of Christian denominations um, and uh, used a lot in Roman Catholic, uh, Lutheran, Anglican, uh, but also Presbyterian, Methodist, and Congregationalists. So here it is. I'm going to read it. It's, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended in, into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So maybe there's a line or two, maybe like descended into hell. You're like, I don't know exactly what that means, if I totally agree. Or maybe there's a thing here or there that you just don't 100% agree with. But generally, most Christians would say, yeah, I believe in that. And so uh, that's not all we're trying to protect, I think, when we talk about something like this. But uh, if, we, if we give those things up, we're really not believing Christianity as outlined and confirmed all throughout the Bible. Okay. So I think it's kind of nice to sort of know where we're starting with, with doctrines. And there's a lot of doctrines in there, probably 18. Uh, so let's talk about false doctrines. So if those are, those are kind of like 
true doctrines, and that's a good listing of some of those. Uh, what are some false doctrines that you can think of? Maybe this will be easier than what are true doctrines. Yeah, so that one would be really popular. So universalism, it's just, yeah, the idea that either eventually everyone will, be, will, will come to be forgiven and be saved, or just straight up that, like, you know, that love will win and everyone will just be saved. And it's sort of, I don't know, like, what you compare it to, but it's sort of like the kind of the thing where, you know, uh, some people pass the test, but most fail. And he's like, you know what? Y'all pass. <laughs> you know, that kind of like, woo, this is great, you know? Um, my, the closest thing I've gotten to the universalism was uh, when I was taking a final exam and the teacher was like, um, if you're happy with your grade, you don't have to take your final. And I was like, really? It's <laughs> like, yeah. You know, but I had earned an A, so I didn't have to take the final. But um, just that feeling of like, I didn't deserve this, but I got it anyway. Um, it goes against tons of stuff in the Bible, which I think is an issue. <laughs> we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it, yeah, for sure. Any other ones? False doctrines? Yeah, that's a real popular one. Jesus was just a good dude that had some, you know, said some good things. I think we'll talk about C.S. Lewis when we do Mere Christianity next, and that's a really famous part of his book, talking about, you know, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord, and that no good man, no sane good man would make the claims that he made if he were just a good guy. He would have had to be a liar or a lunatic, and in, that, in those ways he wouldn't have been just a good guy. Um, and so he made distinct claims over and over again that he was the Son of God. So you can't really have it both ways. As opposed to like a Confucius or something that was a good guy. He had some good sayings. You know, he didn't claim to be God. You got one. Um, like the good works get you into heaven versus... Yeah. Yeah, the idea that we do something to earn a spot in heaven. Maybe that's like the most common thing in just different ways. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's pride, like, ultimately, that is sort of at the base of all that. The yeah. loss of salvation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting one, too, because, like, there, that's, that's one, like, where definitely, like, once saved, always saved. Like, that concept or that tenet mm-hmm. of, of TULIP, of Calvinism, like, can you lose your salvation? Then it becomes a semantics argument of, well, if you lost it, you weren't ever saved to begin with. So yeah. it's, like, it's a complicated thing. But yeah, yeah. I think if oh man, that's a whole other one. What if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Do you do you lose your salvation? I don't know. Yeah, that's a tough. Yeah, I don't know. So that's that's a complicated one. Um, cool. All right. So that was good. Y'all did a great job with that. All right. So let's move on into uh, to this. This is a, a guy kind of listing some off. This is Tim Challies. Uh, I actually contradict myself in using him because he's a blogger, and I'm going to be. Uh, kind of lambasting Christian bloggers in two weeks. But, okay, I like this guy. Um, so T.D. Jakes, you may have heard of him. He says that God eternally exists in three manifestations, not three persons. Okay. So sometimes false doctrines aren't like major, like crazy sounding things. They're just like little twists. Uh, but usually it's done for a certain intention um, or it's just done from not being careful. But when you, when you speak on the level that someone like he does and you have millions of people listening, um, it's, it's something that we need to be more careful about. Uh, Greg Boyd says that God knows some aspects of the future, but that other future events are outside of his knowledge. So that would be 
false. Um, Creflo Dollar, he's a real, he's a guy that wants the $65 million jet, if you know about him. Uh, it says, because we are created in the image of God, we are little gods. That's interesting. Uh, Mormonism, got a lot of great friends who are Mormons, but you know they say that God revealed new scripture to Joseph Smith that supersedes the Bible. And so it's, it's another kind of inspiration that's sort of an addition into uh, what Jesus did. And there's a lot of religions that have come and done that. I think Baha'i is kind of like the culmination of all that, where it's like, you know what? All these eight prophets were important, and they all have good things to kind of add. And it's sort of like the, the universalist way of thinking, like, there's truth in all these things. The problem is that Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to God except through him. So it'd be weird that then someone else would contradict that. But anyway, um, Roman Catholicism says we're justified by faith, but not by faith alone. And so this world is a murky madness of true and false. For every doctrine we know to be true, there seems to be a hundred pretenders. Um, and so we see something like this. You know, if you Google like false doctrines, it gets kind of weird. All right. So there's like this whole like subset of the Internet where I think well-meaning Christians kind of get a little crazy. And they start calling everything false doctrine. And so like everyone who's preached on any major level or written a book has an article on the internet if you want to go read it about how they're a false prophet and they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. And a lot of that's kind of mean-spirited and I think wrong-headed. So there's just some interesting stuff on here like yoga is a false doctrine apparently. Um, let's see. Any Bibles that are not the authorized King James Version? Yeah. yeah. There's some funny stuff on here. There's some books on here that I really like. Um, da Vinci Code. The, I love the Da Vinci Code. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, Think You Grow Rich. It, it's a great book, and it has a tacky title, but it's really good. I like The Power of Positive Thinking, too. Um, I like this. It lists out all the versions. Uh, and I agree with some of it. Yeah, I think Scientology, probably not good. Okay. Um, water baptism. Yeah, there you go. For, for salvation. Okay, speaking in tongues. Whatever. So that's, that's again, like not what we're after. And then you can kind of look at this. So this is like something I kind of pulled off. And there's some guys on here that, yeah, they're definitely like kind of probably false teachers or they, they kind of dabble in false doctrines. And there's some like pretty good dudes on there. Is that um, Billy Graham on the top right? Yeah, he's got, yeah, <laughs> Billy. He's got some high standards. <laughs> I know. <Yeah. laughs> so, the, so what you're not seeing, if you're listening to this, is a picture of all these different like church leaders. And the point is, is that, yeah, there's some, I mean, Francis Chan is on here. He's a, yeah. uh, John Piper's John on here. <laughs> so there's some good people mixed in with some people that make some mistakes. Um, what I would say is, is that there's no one among us, you know, even if it's John Piper or whatever, Billy Graham or whoever we exalt to these like really high positions are like, now this guy, he really understood it. None of those guys are perfect. We're not trying to say that. But there are some like, you know, you got Benny Hinn up here who kind of champions some things that, that I think are indisputably false and, and, and wrong. Um, but anyway, that's the dark side of the internet, uh, calling people out as false prophets and things. All right, so I want to read this. This is 1 Timothy 1, 3, 4. Uh, Anna, why don't you read that? As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different strange doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Yeah, so again, this is something, you know, in 1 Timothy, which 1 Timothy was what, like late 50s? something. Like, I feel like you always know those sort of things. 2 Timothy was like mid-60s, like because he's about to die, right? 
Yeah, so it's, you know, all of Paul's stuff's going to be like 70 or earlier. Galatians was first. That's why it's easier to remember, kind of like mid, early, mid-40s. Yeah, but again, people were already teaching different stuff. People were teaching strange things, and so people were teaching false doctrine already. Um, and so uh, it says here that rather than continuing to act in love born out of a sincere, informed faith, those certain persons had wandered into ungodly vanity. Their false doctrine had led them to ungodliness. And so... Maybe this is another thing that's kind of like motivated by pride is, is that maybe you get tired of the things that you know to be true and you start trying to find a different angle on it or a different way of presenting it and that by doing that you kind of come to a point where it's not true anymore or that it's strange or that's uh, different, uh, that's false. So let's get into this uh, kind of thing because I think this is like the next natural question is, okay, so we know what you know, some true doctrines are, we know what some false doctrines are. When they're ridiculous, they're easy to tell the difference between. Sort of like when you learn, you know, to know how someone's healthy, you study when someone's sick. And so you look at those things, that makes sense. And so how do you test doctrine? Uh, so the question, well, how do we know which doctrines are true? Like, how do you all know? Like, if, if you're, like, trying to decide what's true, like, how would you? It's like, well, if someone said, you know, I don't believe the Trinity is, is true. I think that Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God are actually completely separate three separate things. Like, how would you approach that? Uh, head of the scriptures and try to find evidence that's only place I know to look. Yeah. See, I would, I would go to Wikipedia and uh, print it off. So here? Um, yeah. it, no, that's a complicated one because, you know, it's, that's, a, that's a tricky one, you know. And so it's kind of a combination of, yeah, you go to the Bible, you'd probably look at some commentary. Like, if you're really trying to, like, to, to nail it down, right? Look at some commentaries. You'd probably think about it. You might look at Wikipedia. It's not the worst place, um, you know, but you would do a combination of that. But I think it's nice to have sort of a general method, let's say. And so when we look at like a scientist, and you ask, well, how does a scientist do his or her job? Well, they've got the scientific method. What about like a great airline pilot? Well, even the best pilot in the world has a checklist that they go through before they start. There's a really good book called Checklist Manifesto. Um, I think it's written by a doctor. Uh, a tall go one day or something um, anyway and it's on this idea of checklists and so you can apply that to your life like if a, if a pilot the reason a pilot uses a checklist is because if they mess up they kill like hundreds of people and that's turns out it's not good um, so they have a checklist um, a good baker they're going to follow careful recipes especially like in baking like it you know they got to get it right down to the exact amount or it won't you know lift like it should um, a good accountant it's going to you know always check the ever-changing tax code they're going to double check their numbers and in a similar way, and here's your blank, uh, a good Christian needs to have a method for investigating which doctrines are good and which are bad. I think that when we think of this idea of a method for like determining what's good and bad, we start to feel like it becomes too legalistic or like too serious or too... Um, it's the same way we are just in general about Christianity. It's like, well, I don't want to be like... It's weird. It's like if we wanted to be good at something else like if we wanted to like really get in shape we would like print off all these like exercise regimens and buy protein and do this specific diet but when it comes to being a better christian we're like i don't want to like have to work like you know um and so it's the same thing as like testing doctrine like really figuring out what we believe you're gonna have to read you're gonna have to have a method too before you start to do that on how you would do it so the church of christ just for like historical value and i know not everyone's church of christ but it's just kind of interesting to look at you know how they have viewed this and how in many ways it's imperfect, but they would test doctrine with this idea of command, approved example, and necessary inference. And so 
The Church of Christ made a big deal out of the silence of scriptures, meaning that if there was no command, approved example, or necessary inference, there's no authority to create a ritual or worship in a manner that has not been authorized by God. Okay, that's a mouthful, and I'm going to let David explain it better. I always put it on you on this part. Um, okay, so um, <laughs> this is just a, like how do you, you know, how does anybody figure out like, what the church believes? So um, in, in one level, I don't think this is that different than you know, what other you know, kind of Protestant Bible-believing denominations would say. But first, it commands. So the Bible says, you know, do not murder. That's pretty, you know, we're going to follow commands. So an approved example. So then anything that uh, there's an example of in Scripture that's, uh, that seems to be approved, that's like well-spoken of, and we would say, well, then, then that's going to be a doctrine of the church. We'll follow that. So we'll be a good example of that. Like... Um, Maybe like reading scripture in church, like reading, like so Paul would say like, you know, read aloud, read this letter aloud to the congregation. Say, okay, look, they're, you know, it's talked well of to do this behavior in service, so uh, we'll do that too. And then necessary inference, so that's, I think the first two are not that controversial. I, I, I think that they make a lot of sense. Necessary inference, I think I agree with like maybe the, Three days a week and then four days a week, I have a little trouble with it. Um, I think in general, it's a good idea. So you say, like, if something in Scripture is um, maybe not commanded, maybe there's not a clear example of, but it's inferred, then that's going to have the level of authority. So I hate to give this example because it's so controversial, but just to, to make the point, we would you would think of instruments sometimes fall in that category. So obviously in the Church of Christ, we don't use instruments most church Christ don't use instruments to worship. Part of the reason why they don't is because um, there's no mention of instruments in the New Testament. And there is example, there, there is commands to sing. So you say, okay, so singing, there's a, a proof example we should sing. And so we can infer, since there's no you know, instruments are not taught of, that we can infer that that would be uh, the way that we should apply that. Is that good reasoning or not? But that's, a, that's the way that you know, somebody would think to do that. Yeah. So maybe not a perfect method, but it's a method. Mm -hmm. All right. Just as an example. Um, now, you can look at, like, different. And it's one of those things, too. It's, like, really easy to say, like, well, I don't. And I've heard people say this. Like, I just don't think God would care about X or Y. And it's like, ooh, that's, like, a little bit of a bold statement to make. Like, I just couldn't imagine God sending someone to hell over X or Y. It's like, I don't know. I mean, that's like a, you know. And maybe there are things that fall under that. Maybe instruments is one of those, like, I mean, I sincerely cannot imagine that being what keeps you out of heaven. And that's me speaking. Like, I just can't. Um, but here is kind of, I should have left that up there. You would have, like, been really good with that. Uh, but there are things in the Bible where it's like people were killed. And so, uh, you know, for doing things that don't seem like necessarily that big of a deal, I guess. And so you look at uh, Nadab and Abihu. These are sons of Aaron, uh, nephews of Moses. And they were serving in the tabernacle, and they, uh, they used unauthorized fire to worship God. So they ended up, like, I think burning some sacrificial meat with some fire that was what we call strange fire. Um, and so I think people in the church have used that for, like, you know, instruments. Oh, that's strange fire, you know. And so they're, they're, they're kind of talking about this, and they were struck dead, you know. Um, and so it's true. We need to be careful that, you know, every act of worship in the church 
be authorized, or that's the idea. I think that can be taken a little bit far, and I think there's just so much gray area that it's hard to know. Um, I mean, you could say, well, you know, there's not there's no projectors in the Bible, and so we have no command, and we have no, you know, whatever the rest of it is. Uh, so we shouldn't have projectors. Yeah, we have no approved example of projectors, right? So uh, you could take that as far as you want. Now, another one would be uh, Ananias and Sapphira, and uh, they lied about how much money they con- were they contributed, and they were like struck dead for it. I mean, there are examples where like people make like seemingly small like mistakes and they're like put down for it so it's like I think we need to have reverence to kind of what God tells us to do and the best that we can gather from the scriptures and uh, and then probably some things are not as big of a deal as we've made of them in the past okay so maybe there's a parallel at sometimes and there's not at others here's something that I found that I really like this is the five tests of false doctrine and I hope that this is something that's helpful to you. And if you're ever like thinking about this or whatever, you can kind of go and look at it. I just think it's a nice way of thinking about the things that we do. And so there is, and you can go ahead and fill all these blanks and then we'll talk about them. But there's the test of origin, the test of authority, the test of consistency, the test of spiritual growth, and the test of godly living. And then I'll, I'll talk about each one in turn. Um, okay. All right, so the test of origin... And I think I left the link in there so you can go read about it if you want, if you can read that. Um, but the test of origin is, is that where did, where, did, where did the doctrine come from? All right, so sound doctrine originates with God, whereas false doctrine originates with someone or something created by God. Okay, so a good teaching, a good thing that we can apply is going to originate in God. Um, and then a false doctrine is going to originate with a man. Uh, the second thing is going to be the test of authority. So sound doctrine would ground its authority within the Bible, whereas false doctrine would ground its authority outside the Bible. One way to look at this is the big words that we've brought up, I think, last week is exegesis versus eisegesis. Just fancy words for how do you view the Bible. Do you come to the Bible with a bias or with something that you're trying to prove? And you can find a verse that you, you can, you know, you, so you can say that, um, you know, like the prosperity gospel, they want to justify the idea of being rich, even though it stands completely in the way of, really what the New Testament says, and they'll find a verse in Jeremiah about making someone prosper when that verse is really not even talking about people living today or in the way that they're viewing it. And they'll pull that verse out and they'll hold that verse up really high. And that's kind of what's being said here. Uh, the authority is, is coming outside of the Bible. And that would be eisegesis. Um, and then the test of consistency. So sound doctrine is consistent with the whole of Scripture. False doctrine is inconsistent with some parts of Scripture. This is maybe one of the biggest ones, is that a lot of false doctrine, if you took one verse in isolation, maybe stripped it of its context, you could prove just about anything if you wanted to. Um, but if you view it as a whole, uh, you would be kind of faced with, well, that doesn't make sense. So the same people that, are, you know, that have the prosperity gospel, they'll pull this verse out of the Old Testament or this one, if they were faced with, you know, sell all your possessions and <laughs> go, go about your way, like, well, that doesn't make sense. That's inconsistent, right? Or that you know that the love of money is, is is bad, and there's all kinds of verses, right, that would say that it's not good to just be wealthy, just to be wealthy. Um, test four would be the test of spiritual growth, and I think this becomes maybe a more interesting way of, of looking at this: is that sound doctrine is beneficial for spiritual health, whereas false doctrine leads to spiritual weakness. So this is one that would take a little bit more time to evaluate, but I think that's true. I think that if you look at false doctrines in the churches that that but preach them, I think eventually you would see um, spiritual weakness as opposed to when, when true doctrine is taught consistently, uh, you're going to see spiritual health. 
And then the last one is the test of godly living. Uh, and so sound doctrine has value for godly living. False doctrine leads to ungodly living. I think some of these are sort of hypothetical or conceptual because it's, it's a little hard to judge that. Okay, uh, But we have to believe that if God gave us these teachings, that they're for our benefit. It's not just to like make some hoop for us to jump through like we're in medical school and like, well, this test will never benefit me or this class will never benefit me, but i got to do it because i got to do it. Uh, you know, the things that God has put into place, the thing that God's asked us to do are good things for us. All right, and then we get into this where we evaluate it. So we have what's called the determination of quality. It's a lot to write down, the determination of quality. Um, and so we're just basically recounting all this. But sound doctrine originates with God, is recorded in the Word of God, is consistent with the whole revelation of God, and leads to both spiritual health and godly living. On the converse, false doctrine originates with men or demons, is foreign to the Word of God, is inconsistent with the whole revelation of God, and leads to spiritual weakness and ungodly living. I think that statement in itself is a really strong kind of way of understanding all this. So your evaluation would be based on the evidence, is this doctrine sound or false? Okay. And then lastly here, uh, your action is to determine your responsibility. And it's simple. Um, Sound doctrine must be accepted and held fast. False doctrine must be denied and rejected. Okay, I know that's a lot to kind of look at. Um, but I hope we take these things seriously because, like, the issues that we'll be talking about in the next few weeks, these are some false doctrines that we're faced with. But you better believe in 20 years and 30 years, there will be other false doctrines that are really popular that our kids are having to deal with, that we're having to deal with, and that the church is having to deal with. Um, and one question that kind of comes up is this question of, well, won't telling someone that they're wrong or rebuking someone for false doctrine, won't that cause disunity? And doesn't the Bible call us to unity? Um, so it's almost like you have to pick your battles. Like when do you decide when it's right to rebuke and when do you decide that it's, it's not? And I don't have a great answer for that. What I would say is that unity is not our number one priority, which is tough. Well, which priority is it? Is it two? Is it three? Is it four? I don't know. Um, but it definitely was not the number one priority for Jesus or Peter or Paul. So we have multiple examples of all three of those guys telling people they're wrong and causing disunity, right? Um, but it should be our goal where achievable. So I think like we should be seeking unity, but at a certain point, you have, to, you have to stand up for truth and for what's right. And that's tricky. That's hard. That's like my least favorite part of, of church or of... Yeah. Just thinks. I mean, being a boss, just having like at an orthodontic clinic, like telling someone they've done something wrong, it's just not fun. You'd love to just be like, man, that was great. That is awesome. Um, but that's like a God that's only grace and mercy, and there's no justice. You know, it's like Grant talks about it's like clapping with one hand. It makes no sound, right? You have to have both for it to mean something. Um, it's like a judge that everyone comes through and they're like, not guilty, not guilty. You're acquitted. You, you know, you get a car, you get whatever. You know, so it's just. It's just not realistic. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm sad like, to see truth slipping away from our generation. I sort of feel like that, just in general, it's like the concepts of truth, of objectivity, uh, of truth that originates in a God that created us, like seeing that slip away is something that alarms me, and it should alarm all of us, I think. All right, so let's talk. Now oh, here's some other stuff. We've gone through that. Let's talk about kind of what's coming up, and then we'll wrap up. So next week... David will teach on false gospels. 
There's a lot that could be said. I'll leave most of it for, for David, but I'll kind of hit some high points for you. Uh, the theme question is, what is the gospel? Are there different types of gospels or different ways to enter into a relationship with God? We, we obviously just finished, you know, five, six weeks on the gospel, so you know what the true gospel is. Uh, but false gospel, some examples for what it's worth, like the prosperity gospel. Maybe there's an American kind of political gospel, like it's real pro-American that somehow if the USA is successful, then that somehow would make God happy. Uh, I think that that's a really popular one. Uh, Mormonism, Eastern religions, universalism, uh, the social justice gospel. I think that uh, we can kind of move so far to like, well, this is this is Jesus. This is you know when we uh, feed people and we do soup kitchens and things like that's really Christianity. You know, you hear that. That's a really popular thing right now. But if there's no doctrine in that, it's again, it's like a pendulum that swung too far. Um, and that's a really popular gospel, I think. And again, John 14, 6 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's hard to get around, right, from a universalist standpoint. Uh, then we're going to get into one that it's, a, it's a, probably a weird thing, probably not what you're expecting to learn about, but I thought it was really fun, like, reading up on it and teaching on it. But it's this idea of in blog we trust, Christian blogging, and the question of has the Internet helped or hurt the modern church, which I think is a profound question to ask. And so we'll look at different bloggers, different authors. And I'll say this, you know, in a couple of weeks, but, you know, you look at like C.S. Lewis, like, you know, I was talking a few weeks ago about like getting a bust of his head and putting it in my library, which maybe I shouldn't now that I think about it. But he wasn't a perfect guy. He had some really weird doctrinal beliefs and some things that I would outright disagree with him on. And yet he did a lot that I really agree with. So just because some blogger does one thing that I disagree with doesn't mean that they're just like, you know, they're a false prophet and don't listen to anything and I, you know, put them up in one of those photos and blast them on the internet. But I think it is good to understand that it's possible that we're reading more Christian blogs than we are Bibles. They're being more influenced by people, A, who aren't really trained in theology, but also B, may have certain biases that are false. And so they might be, you know, teaching false doctrines, whether they, they don't understand that they are or that they actually want to teach those false doctrines. And so it's dangerous. Uh, it's just, a, it's, we're in a weird, we've never been in this setting before. Okay, a thousand years ago we had priests that were teaching people and they were the only ones that could read and that wasn't good either. But now we have it where everyone can read and everyone can teach and everyone has a voice and that's not really good either. Some people really shouldn't have a voice. And that's a blessing and curse of social media. Everyone feels important and empowered to, to say what they want to say. And really, there are a lot of people that really shouldn't have that platform, but they do. Um, so, we'll talk more about that. Um, and then the question of, this is a fun one, is will sinners go to hell? Um, so, I think it's really popular that there is no hell or that people won't go to hell. And hell is not a fun thing to think about. The idea that someone would be punished for eternity is not fun. To, to think about or to believe in. So this question of, in the end, does love win, or will we all be held eternally responsible for our sins someday? So we'll look at what the Bible says about that and maybe what some other people like Rob Bell says about it. Uh, and then we'll end up with this talk uh, on Christ versus culture. So this will be David. And the theme question is, are our thoughts, positions, and actions more influenced by our Christian faith or our American culture? And so there's a thing called syncretism, and that's where it's sort of an amalgam of the culture and Christianity. And you, know, you see that in the New Testament where people were sort of mixing 
even their Jewish traditions with Christianity, or they were mixing kind of the Greek traditions with Christianity, or Roman customs with Christianity. It's the same today. We kind of have this mixed up, generally, uh, Christianity mixed with sort of American exceptionalism, mixed with materialism, uh, mixed with salvation by works, some sort of amalgamation of that. And that's not really what Christianity should be. Um, so we'll look at that. Another really good thing, I'm taking good stuff from you, but uh, there's a really good thing about Martin Luther King. Are we being a thermostat or are we being a thermometer? Most Christians, Christians are thermometers, so they're kind of measuring what the culture is doing and they match that as, a, as opposed to a thermostat where you sort of set the temperature for a culture. And so Martin Luther King was trying to be a thermostat. He was saying that, well, it's 98 degrees out there and it really should be 72. Uh, most of us are like, it's 98 degrees out there, and I'm 98 degrees too. Uh, we're, we're in line with the culture more than we are with what Christ would have us be. Uh, so here's our conclusion. Uh, a couple verses, and out of sequence because it works better this way, but this is from 2 Timothy, uh, verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And see if this sounds like where we are now, um, written 2,000 years ago. But, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Uh, how should Timothy prepare his church for such a time? By preaching the Bible and teaching the doctrine it contains. And so Paul says this, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so that, that's for us is the takeaway. So obviously the top verses. This is now, and it you know we always think like every culture always thinks well this is as bad as it's ever been you know we also think that we're as smart as we've ever been this is like true of every culture ever and we blame the people behind us and the people ahead of us and every generation deals with these same cyclic things and uh, one of those things is that we find teachers that suit our needs and suit our desires and suit kind of our pride or our selfish uh, intentions. So the same is true of, of, of today with, with doctrine. Uh, and the best thing that we can do, this is what Paul told Timothy, was to be ready in season and out of season. I like that. Sort of like learning the gospel the last six weeks. It's like, it may be out of season now, but at some point it will be in season. Uh, I actually teared up today because Billy, um, Billy Schwinn, they're not here tonight. Chelsea wasn't feeling well, but um, he was telling me that he had ended up like staying up late into the night teaching someone some of those lessons from the gospel. And that was cool because that's the point is, is that it may be six months until you get that opportunity, but then it's like, you know what, I've got this. So you're kind of ready for that. Um, and then to rep reprove, rebuke, and exhort, that's hard. Um, and then to be patient. I think dealing with kind of being frustrated about having to be a leader in certain ways, um, you have to be patient with people. You have to understand that not everyone is, is going to get it. And some people are going to be really ripe for half-truths and alternative facts and you're always going to have that aunt or uncle or, or father or mother that's always like believing weird stuff and holding on to things that aren't true and it's it's frustrating or someone in your church that's always stirring stuff up you know and so you have to have patience with that so anyway so that is it for tonight i'm gonna go ahead and turn this off and we can chat a little bit okay so we had a great night i wanted to kind of summarize some of the discussion that we had i decided to turn it off this time because I'd already talked too much, probably. Um, but we had a great discussion. Uh, uh, Tucker brought up this idea of, with the U.S. Treasury, how they actually study authentic currency first 
So they spend, you know, you said a couple years, but you know, a significant amount of time studying every detail about a real dollar bill or a $5 bill or a $100 bill. And then they're introduced to uh, counterfeit currency. And at that point, they know the real currency so well that the counterfeit currency stands out as different and as not authentic or as false. I think it's a really good way of looking at, at false doctrines is, is if we study the true doctrines, as it says there in First Timothy, in season and out of season, and we're prepared to know what those things are, then the false doctrines, they stand out as inauthentic or as false. And it's probably true that we're more influenced by our culture, we're more aware of what our culture would say are truths, and it's hard for us to identify what are true doctrines and what are false doctrines. So we need to return to the source uh, and to the, the true, the authentic uh, doctrine or, or currency, as it were, in the, in the metaphor, and then we'll be better able to identify what is counterfeit. I think it's a really, really great and profound thought. Um, we also talked about how there's a difference in being nice and being loving when it comes to rebuking people. It's really easy to, to want to be nice. Um, it just kind of go along with whatever they believe and you know, just be a nice person, but it, it doesn't mean a lot if you're just nice. And so actually being loving sometimes includes you know, tough love. So telling someone that they're wrong or that the decisions they're making are not best for them or in a church setting to let them know that what they believe and what they're telling others to believe is not true and it's difficult uh, and it's, it, it is loving though. And it's better for that person than to just sort of nicely say, well, what's good for you, that's great, but it's not what's good for me, but that's okay. We'll, we'll agree to disagree, as it were. Um, and so it's difficult. And then a lot of other good discussion, and I'm just really excited because David will be teaching next week on uh, false gospels. And so he'll talk, obviously, a little bit about what, what is a true gospel, but then also some ideas of what is a false gospel and, and how we decide. And so I'm really excited about that. I hope you're having a great week. If you've made it here to the end, I'm very impressed with you. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got a lot out of it. If I can help in any way, uh, find me on Facebook, Kyle Fagala, and be happy to, to chat with you there. Have a great week. We will see you next time.